Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to two inspiring people. John Rathwell and Tracy Gennard are the folks behind Searching for Sero, uh, Sero being short for serotonin. It's a mental wellness project that has the two traveling in a converted camper van across Canada and the United States, meeting people and sharing their stories of finding happiness. They started last spring and they've been on the road since May of 2016. More than mental wellness though, it's a project about suicide prevention and an example of what happens when you lose someone close to you and start to think a little differently about how to live your life. Here's their story. We just pulled into Fruta, Colorado. It's a small town, but I was like, I mean, it's big enough to have cell service that's not a problem and like get into town i'm like we have one bar and we like kind of drove around town a little bit and it's like there's one bar all over town <laughs> i guess that's part and parcel with living outside of a van you, you kind of take chances when you go into a new town you don't don't always know what you're going to get yourself into yeah yeah it's that, like sometimes it's super nice to have like wi-fi at our campsite and we can like kind of just like sit up camp in the middle of the bush and work and do everything but it's also sometimes really nice to like not have it (laughs) (laughs) uh so i can see you right now you're you're in your van that you've been living in for months now and will continue to live in can you describe what what home looks like for you right now um so we live and and travel in a 1991 vanagon westphalia so it's a beautiful van. It's small. It's 15 feet long, uh, but it's got all we need, really. It's got two beds. Actually, we could sleep four in here, even if it's a tight space. We have like a sink, two burner stove. We have like water, a little fridge. And on the roof, which we can pop actually and stand in if, if we pop the roof. On the roof, we have like stand-up paddle boards. We have a big Thule box with like a lot of gear if we want to go hiking or camping or doing things like that in the back we have our mountain bikes because we're two avid mountain bikers and when we're on the coast we like to carry surfboards as well so we're really ready for adventure in our in our little van yeah that makes sense right you start with the van's really small we have this and this (laughs) and this and this and this yeah but now for a little like 15 foot van it's actually like surprisingly roomy and, I mean, there was definitely a giant call of what we were going to bring with us when we moved into the van. But I think we often surprise people with how much we do have with us, yeah. which is fun because, like, because we're traveling all the time. Sometimes we want our mountain bikes. Like in Fruta, it's one of the, you know, top up-and-coming mountain bike destinations in Colorado. But soon enough, we'll be in Southern California and we're going to want our surfboards. So, right kind of carry everything because it's not like we can go like back home between each town to get what we what we want or what we need so are you opening the van doors and things are spilling out right now you've got so much stuff in there or or (laughs) how is it managed the van door is not bad like the interior space we try to keep it as neat as possible because we have to live in that space like on a on a daily basis so that's why the tule box is really important so we have a lot of this on the outside and of course like when we want to go on an adventure and we want to plan then we i mean we say the van puke so like we get everything out to take what we need and then pack everything up so in a way, it feels like it takes a little longer to get ready just because, like, we have to find everything. But 
everything have has a place in the van and yeah. it fits really well we definitely noticed the cleaner and the more organized we keep the van the easier life is yeah which i guess is the same for a house you know if you always walk in and you got clutter everywhere you're just going to kind of get frustrated you're kind of wandering around and losing things so we try to keep the van clean and organized and we get that comment a lot when people people walk by and they stop all the time and talk to us and they they're like you live in this it's so it's so clean like where's all your stuff and it's just like we we spend a lot of time making sure it's it's organized and stuff's put away because it just is so much easier to live in a small space when things are organized what did life look like for each of you before embarking on this adventure of searching for Sarah? You want to start? Yeah. I mean, maybe not that much different for myself. I spent two years living out of a Jeep Cherokee before getting this van. So, like, in comparison, this is, like, a luxury condo. <laughs> like, the you know, the Jeep was small. I had, like, one side with my little thermos and sleeping bag, and the other side of the back was all, like, Tupperware bins where I'd keep, like, my clothes and my kitchen stuff, and that was that was about it. But, yeah, the more recently, though, I, I've been working as a professional photographer, and so there was a lot of office time. I, I worked from home from our, our condo in Gatineau, Quebec, and then when I was on assignment, it was often on the road, either flying to destinations or, or driving. There'd definitely be periods of times where I felt like I was never home. It was like going job to job. Like I, I had one job where I like literally flew back from Calgary into Ottawa, switched, like didn't even leave the airport, got like a new suitcase full of clean clothes and took off to Halifax. So it was like, you know, it was, it was fun life. It was exciting and it kept me busy, which is kind of the same as living in the van. We're always busy, but uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I guess for like, for living in a vehicle and traveling a lot, it wasn't a big stretch for me. It wasn't like it was something I'd never done. What about you, Tracy? Yeah, for me, on the other hand, it was definitely new. Um, as John was saying, we lived in Gatineau, so it's like on the Quebec side, but right beside Ottawa. So I was working in Ottawa for the federal government. I had been working there for a few years at that point. Um, had what most people call the golden ticket, you know, permanent job with the feds, good salary, good pension, all of that. I had a condo in Gatineau. I was pretty, pretty well settled. But then we decided, I decided to let it all go and, and go for a life of adventure and something quite different. So let go of the condo, let go of the job and just start living in a vehicle, which is something I had never done. I travel a lot, but in more conventional ways you know like using my two three four weeks vacation a year to go abroad or or visit friends so that was definitely quite different for me a big driving force behind this for you you're looking Mm -hmm. at mental wellness how people find happiness how people achieve mental wellness and it's also very much geared towards suicide prevention something that's touched both of you quite closely can you tell me how the events unfolded, which led to what you're embarking on and have been embarking on for the past many months. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of started with, with a phone call from my mother uh, saying that, that dad had passed away. Dad had killed himself. And I live, I live about four hours away from my, my parents' house. And I just kind of got in the car and, 
drove home. Um, you know, and on that drive, I was like, like four hours by myself. I'm like, did that, did that phone call actually happen? Is that actually what my mom said? You know, like that whole time it was just like, nah, it, it can't be, you know, like I, I talked to dad like a week ago. It was one of the best conversations we've ever had. I don't know. We, we talked about cheese, <laughs> which was, you know, maybe doesn't sound that exciting to most people, but dad was pretty quiet and pretty reserved and really our only conversations ever were about cars and mechanics or or hunting so talking mm-hmm. about cheese was like like i remember hanging up the phone was like said to tracy like talk to my dad a half hour about cheese today like things are good <laughs> um but uh i mean ob- obviously they they weren't and i think that's that's something when I share that story, a lot of people that have lost friends or family to suicide say that like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the weeks coming into it, they thought they were, you know, the best they had been, they were reaching out, they were talking, you know, so it was, it was interesting once I started kind of paralleling to friends and people we met about, about that story. But yeah, I guess after, after the funeral and after things kind of, um, settled down a bit i said to tracy i want to use photography i want to use my art to help bring attention to suicide prevention and i tossed that idea around for a while uh kind of hung up on like how do you photograph suicide Mm -hmm. and kind of during that time of figuring it out tracy ended up losing her aunt yeah, it was a weird timing. I mean, neither John nor I had experienced suicide closely. And all of a sudden, it happened, you know, back to back. So it was a rough time, not only emotionally, but I personally think that suicide is not like any kind of grief. You you wonder about life in a very different way than you would if some someone you love died from natural death like there's a Mm -hmm. there's a lot of thinking associated with it and not only do you question that person's life but you question your own as well and that's what we found ourselves doing after all that we were like huh like why why were these people so so unhappy that they wanted to end their lives and you know like when when we look back even today, John's dad and my aunt uh, were two different, completely different persons with symptoms of mental health that that showed in very very different way. Um, mm-hmm. Like John's dad was very reserved. My aunt wasn't all that much. Um, we knew that she had been suffering from depression for years and years and battling depression. Yet she was in a phase in her life where she seemed the happiest and had the most thing to look forward to. Like she was a newly, newly grandmother and she was so happy about that. And like people thought that this was really good for her. She took a lot of pride in her grandchildren and all that. And yet she chose that time to end her life. So then you think, wow, like, why is it, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and what can I do to make my life the happiest I can? Am I making my life the happiest I can make it? You know, am I, am I making the right choices? You know, like I was there sitting thinking, I'm, I'm turning 30 years old. Is this the life I envision myself doing? And am I enjoying it as much as I can? And when I say that, I don't mean 
just go out and play and don't think about anything else. But am I really making deeply the choices that I think I should? And so that's the kind of thought process we were in. Yet we were really sad. <laughs> so it was a mm-hmm. weird a, a weird winter for us. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think when you, you lose a friend or family to suicide, you, you ask a lot more questions than if it was a, a disease or an old accident. age or an accident, because you, you know why they died, you know, it was, it was a car accident, right. it was cancer. And it, it's not, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's something better. Cause of course it's still a loss of a life and it's hard to deal with, but, there's questions of, of why, you know, why, why did they take their own lives? You know, it just kept coming up over and over. And, you know, it was almost a, like my dad had, had just retired. He worked at General Motors his whole life, you know, mm-hmm. and like was, was proud that he put his time in and proud to get his pension and, and proud to retire. And, you know, it was standing on the other side to me, dad, finally had his whole life in front of him you know he'd work seven days a week he took every overtime shift he could get he he drove an hour and a half just to get to work you know it's his whole life and and now he's retired now he's you know like finally free but i guess that wasn't wasn't really the case and so that winter with that whole you know dark thoughts that we were having we we were finding it very hard to get motivated to to get out and and have fun and do the things we like. We were really into dark thoughts. We had ski passes, season's passes, to our our local hill at Camp Fortune, which was Mm -hmm. 10-15 minute drive, and we couldn't get ourselves to go. Yeah. So in that winter, um, we decided at some point to to book a ski trip to BC. We're like, okay, like we're gonna book a vacation and go ski with friends. We had friends in in, um, near Kelowna. So we're going to book a trip and we're, we're going to go ski Big White and have fun and it's going to feel good and all that. And so we went and like John was gone for, you know, three weeks. I was gone for only a week because I didn't have enough vacation left, but we still had a blast. And when John came back after he, he came back two weeks later, I was still home and he came back and he told me, I don't know, Tracy, I, I don't know what there is, but during the entire time I was there during those three weeks like every morning I was happy I was I would get up and I would go ski and I was like I was myself again you know after like Mm -hmm. you know six months of crap I was finally myself again what is it you know and so I started looking into it and, and thinking about it in terms of what makes us feel good you know and just researching happiness and and this entire process and came across serotonin and how, you know, being outdoors and being active and, and having those, those life habits actually contribute to your mental wellness. And when I told John, John was like, that's it. That's the project. We're not going to talk about suicide and depression and and mental illnesses. We're going to talk about happiness and we're going to talk about, you know, being outdoors and being active and what makes us happy and how it impacts our life and how people make choices to take care of their mental wellness by making those choices. And so that's the conversation we want to have, because for us, I mean, with the exception of that really dark period, we're usually pretty happygoing people, you know, like we like to <laughs> have fun and and we're not really depressed all that much, but yeah. we, we felt 
we felt more compelled to tell happy stories than to tell sad stories, even if sure. these happy stories had really low lows. And, and if these people we were t talking about had sad stories, it was still always having a positive outcome of a, or a positive mindset about what was going on. You know, what brought me to your story originally, it's something that resonates with me as well. I, I lost a cousin to suicide uh, many years ago. And so that process of reflection and, and you know, thinking about life in a different way, I, I recognize when you're saying that very, very much so. And, and wondering, you know, am I living the life that I want to be living right now? What, what am I doing? Um, am I truly happy? What I did this past summer was I did a bike ride across Canada uh, in 2016. And so I was I was raising funds for mental health uh, awareness, uh, similar to how you've been doing with plans for your book. So I, I remember that moment of thinking, this is how I'm going to live, you know, at least this segment of my life, I'm going to do this bike trip. When did the light bulb come for you? you you've already talked about the serotonin part, but uh, the light bulb of we're going to buy this van and we're going to drive across North America meeting people and, and hearing their stories. Yeah, I mean, it was... A million pieces of... <laughs> yeah, in a way I want to say it kind of all like after discovering serotonin, it all kind of fell into place pretty quick, but it also didn't feel like it happened so fast that it was out of control. It kind of felt like it, mm -hmm. everything fell into place at the pace it needed to. You know, the as, as soon as Tracy told me about serotonin, I was like, that's, that's it. We got to do stories about happiness, you know, and... and share stories on how people get their serotonin and i guess it I, I i went through like a ton of ideas of like oh well we could just do it around the, the ottawa gatineau area and then it just kind of kept growing into like well maybe we could figure out a way to do like stories across canada somehow because we had decided also like at the same time we were like oh we're probably not interested ourselves in staying in the Ottawa area so we're like we'd like to move and maybe we'd like to check out you know the west coast because that's where there's more of the activities that we enjoy doing so we're like well if we're gonna move to the west coast might as well you know go and do a road trip and then might as well collect stories as we drive across the country yeah and then, I mean at first it was like ah oh, it'll just be a summer thing and then as we started planning and and thinking about it more, I think we saw potential or more potential in what we were doing. And so it kind of started to take its form over the course of that that winter and spring into what it is now. So I ended up buying buying the van and spending 10 months working on it. When you buy a 25-year-old van, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, so I... My buddy uh, in Ottawa owns a owns a little shop, and so I went there, and he was nice enough to to let me use one of his bays for originally a couple weeks. Uh, is what we thought it would take us to do all the work we needed to do, and uh, yeah, ten months later we rolled the van out of a shop. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I mean that whole. That whole time, there was a lot of project planning going on, a lot of details and logistics, as well as getting our crowdfunding campaign going to help fund the project because it it was going to be expensive. Yeah, work and put money aside because 
you know, it's mostly self or in great part self-funded. So it's like, it was all those, it took almost from the moment we decided to do searching for Cerro and do like a two year road trip and drive across North America. It took a year for us to be able to hit the road with a van running and a project and a bit of money in the bank and, and get going. Tracy, what was it like for you to to have that golden ticket, like you said, and to enter the uncertainty of kissing that goodbye and uh, going on this? It was funny because at first my goal wasn't to quit. I had this idea of taking a leave of absence, doing the project, and then, you know, throughout deciding if I want to come back or if I want to go back to something else or, you know, having that option because I did have it. And over that, as I said, like it took us a year to plan. So over that year of planning, the closer we got to uh, getting ready to leave, the clearer it was in my mind that I was not going to want to go back to that. And so a few months before leaving, maybe three, four months before leaving, I told John, I'm like, I'm not going to go back. Like, I don't want to. And I felt like... I felt like I would commit to the project and to my new life in a different way if I knew I had nothing to fall back on and if I knew I wasn't I wasn't this life anymore, you know? Like it was right. something new and I was just looking forward and that was it. And so that was I guess a choice I made just a few months before leaving to just let go of that past life and and go on with this. So uh, take me to the start date when you set off from Newfoundland and you start this this incredible experience. Yeah, I mean it started spring 2016. May 20th. Yeah, <laughs> May right right after my birthday. Yeah. From Ottawa, we started to head east. Uh, so there was, of course, the the emotional goodbyes with family and all the hugs and all the wishes. Uh, we actually had a big send off party in Ottawa with all our friends as well yeah. uh, which was super fun and then we we headed headed east to Newfoundland and we had done kind of eight preview stories in the Ottawa area but there's a bit of anxiousness about the first story from the road you know the, mm-hmm. the stories in Ottawa were easy in a way because we had our friends there we had our contacts there we we knew people with interesting and motivational stories, but all of a sudden we're in Newfoundland where neither of us had ever been before. We didn't know anybody there. And it was kind of like, how are we going to like find a story? You know, who are we going to interview? Like we should have thought this out before. (laughs) (laughs) And we ended up, uh, having a few people on social media that had started following us that live in Newfoundland. And so we met up with them and chatted and they introduced us to a few people in the community and we ended up finding our first story, which is still actually one of the kind of more impactful stories that we've, we've written so far. We've had a lot of stories. I think it was a snowball effect after that we were able, I mean, we, we knew what to do to get to people, to get to those stories. And it was that first, you know, breaking the ice and, and not doubting that our ideas would make any sense. We're like, this is a ridiculous idea. You roll into town and you 
like randomly look for people you don't know and hopefully they want to talk to you and hopefully yeah. they want you to take photos and write their their life down on paper yeah that's gonna work right <laughs> <laughs> but we've been lucky like the people we've met and their openness and their willingness to share personal moments of their lives with us and with our audience have been like we're really grateful it's been touching it's been amazing like we're really lucky yeah the the variety of stories we have now we have over 60 Probably. stories at the moment yeah. and everybody's is so unique uh and every everybody we talk to motivates us in their own unique way you know we'll we'll be talking to them and there's definitely things that i'll latch on to that are different than what Tracy latches onto about, about this particular person's story, but we both get motivated by it. And I think that's what we hope the readers do when they read each story is, you know, there's, there might be some things that you don't resonate with, or maybe you didn't go through that kind of thing in your life. So you don't really, it doesn't really hit you the same way, but you know, there are parts where it's like, Oh yeah, I had a job I hated or oh, yeah, I did go through a bit of a, a tough time with my parents and it's good to know that I'm, I'm not the only one, I'm not alone. And that there's an out on the other side. If we, we work through this and we keep our, our minds focused and we, you know, make time for ourselves to, to get outside and play. So what was the, that first story that you got in Newfoundland and, and maybe some other stories that you find have stuck with you in, in the weeks past? Yep. That first story was the story of, um, of a lady, um, Andrea. Andrea, that has suffered from depression and anxiety in her life. She was overweight and had like major self-esteem issues that were related in part to her weight, but n not really only that. And that's something she discovered along her process of, you know, she spent, she, she got to a turning point where she was so down that she wanted to uh, end her life herself. And um, she says the only reason she didn't do it, she had two two children at the time. And so... Still has two children. She still does. <laughs> um, and, and basically that was a turning point for her to start trying to lose weight and, and, and uh, feel better about herself. And she did. Like over, I think over the first year, she lost close to 100 pounds or something like that. And so it had a major impact on her and, and transformed her life and made it better in a way. But a few years later, you know, she realized that she was still, you know, running and biking and doing all those things and being an advocate for a healthy lifestyle. She was still feeling deep within inside her. She hated herself and she, she was still suicidal. And again, like she had to realized that the weight was not what made her hate herself. It was just a symptom of her self-esteem issues. And so she went through another phase of basically therapy and understanding and loving and caring and for herself to be able to go get over that. And, and now she, she's good. She's doing really well. Um, she was doing really well when we met her last year and we're still in touch with her and she's, she's doing great. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting cause she talked a lot about how she always gave, gave everything for other people, for her kids, for her husband, for her work. It was always give, give, give. And 
she never focused on giving to herself. Mm-hmm. And it was it was that moment that was a turnaround for her when she she said in the interview, like, I, I realized that I, I didn't have anything else to give until I gave to myself. And, you know, she she debated with with herself about how that was going to be selfish about this. And that. I think there's a lot of people that get into that, you know, especially mothers or parents, you know, giving everything to their kids and not not taking that time for themselves to make sure that that they're healthy. So it was a uh, it was a pretty, you know, inspiring and motivational story. And there's a I think a lot of people read it and and could could feel and see themselves or people they know that have been in in very similar situations. And other stories that have been interesting. I'd say I'd say what's really interesting, especially now that we look back, as John said earlier, is the variety of them. So like, you know, Andrea was a mother, she had, you know, weight issues and self-esteem, but we've also, you know, interviewed people that had severe mental illness diagnosed and had to work through that. We interviewed people that never really had that, but went through periods in their life, whether it's related to a divorce, um, work-related issues. Even even lately, being in the U.S., a lot of the people we've talked to are kind of like, I became unhappy because I was chasing the American dream. Mm, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we can pick on the Americans being Canadian, but, you know, we're very much parallel to it, you know, of, of society telling us to, to go to school and to get a job and to to save money. And our, like our most recent story that we posted this morning on Josh, that was exactly it. And he, you know, talks about buying and owning this high tech company. And his wife was a, a doctor. They were living in Athens, Georgia, in a mansion, had mm-hmm. everything that the American dream told them to have right and they still weren't happy you know they're both miserable yeah and they they end up downsizing moving to a little adventure town Asheville North Carolina uh, so they could could ride mountain bikes more often and uh, Josh ends up getting out of high tech and and starting a a little outdoor apparel company called Weevil with the whole basis or his slogan being get off the couch and get outside which mm-hmm. naturally attracted us to him. Well, well, why? Why did you want to get off the couch and get outside? Right. And that's when he told us that that background story about the American dream. And we've definitely heard a lot of that lately. So it's you know that I think that's the cool part about the projects is is it's been everything from people suffering from deep and difficult mental health issues to just people kind of chasing what society tells us to chase and realizing that they're not happy. You know, they were never diagnosed. They never had, you know, a chronic illness, but they, they did sense, you know, this, this isn't how I want to live my life. Right. These stories, how have they changed your attitudes, your thoughts on, you know, the way that you live your life, the way that you approach life, the way that you see the world? I think it's funny because meeting all these people with whom, in a way, we have a lot in common make us at the same time feel really hopeful about society because we meet all these people that have come to the realization that happiness is within reach and and they're taking the steps 
to make it happen and they're and they're doing cool things either in their community a lot of them are very community engaged or with their families uh with their kids you know like so it feels to us like there's amazing things happening and amazing people and at the same time we're i guess seeing a lot of disconnection from other people around us and, and where we travel and you know poverty and difficult times and so it's it's kind of a, an interesting contrast for us to look at but at the same time I'm really hopeful that you know we can have we can have good conversation about about mental mental health and how we can work towards getting better I think a lot of people are more and more aware and more willing to discuss mental illnesses and 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 prevention so I think I'm, I think I'm hopeful. Yeah, I think that's what I am. I mean, I think that one of the biggest things I've noticed in talking to all these people is, as soon as you approach it as mental wellness, there's a, a bigger willingness for anybody to open up. Right. Um, as soon as we say mental health, people kind of close down. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's not really me. And you can say, you know, like, you know, one in one in four people are susceptible to a, a mental health issue at some point in their life, you know, and it still doesn't really open that up. Right. But you start talking about it as mental wellness and that we all have to look after our mental wellness. And then all of a sudden every, everyone can kind of understand a bit better and, and willingness to, to open up and talk about it. And the fact that, yeah, I wasn't, you know, ever to a point where I felt like, I was clinically depressed, but I had these lows in my life. And that opening that conversation up has been huge, you know, because as soon as you're okay with talking about some of those lows, you know, it, it opens up everyone to talking about their low, which is, is different for everyone. And it's it's been pretty cool to see that. And mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, the biggest thing I have I've taken from it is that it's it's okay to talk about those lows, you know, especially if we we back it up with, you know, why we why we got down there and, and how we can get out of it. You know, and that, that conversation doesn't happen the same way if it's you know, mental illness. So, because it's still, you know, there's there's been some great work around like ending the stigma and opening up that conversation, but I think people are just so hesitant to talk about mental illness right yeah it's still a, a language thing right it's uh the, the, you realize the power of words and and what people associate with those words yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's just it's just easier to understand mental wellness for most people i think unless you've been in those those deep times and and have come out the other side you know and and the those people are are so strong with what they talk about and how they talk about their lives and what happened to them but it's i think it's difficult for you know the bigger general public to understand that sometimes i think what's different is you know if we talk about physical health we can easily say i'm doing this because it's healthy it's for my health we can talk about health left and right no matter who you are you can have that discussion but not mm -hmm. so much on the mental health side and so when usually when you say mental health people hear mental illness and so mm -hmm. we can't really have that general conversation because people say well 
I haven't been diagnosed as having a depression or, or bipolar or anxiety disorder or, or, and so on and so forth. Therefore, I don't have any grounds to discuss mental health. But that's not true. Mental health is everything in between the perfect state of mental health and the worst, you know, mental illness. Everything in between is your mental health. So it's that whole array of, of situation and feelings and, 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 you know, everything. But that's not what we see and think of. So I think it's, it's as you said, the power of word and, and what perception is associated with which words. And we have to, to unfortunately think of that when we when we have this conversation because otherwise people close up and, and yeah. it's not happening. Yeah, it's it's Absolutely. interesting too when you talk about it as mental wellness, the conversation of, of prevention is all of a sudden a lot easier. You know, we we know that we shouldn't eat at McDonald's because mm-hmm. it'll put our cholesterol through the roof, you know, and, and for a lot of those things there's you know, for a lot of illnesses, there's a big focus on prevention. But at what point have we ever talked about mental illness prevention? You know, especially knowing the stats of, of one in four, you know, one in four Canadians, and we never talk about mental health or mental illness prevention. I think that's that's one of the things calling it mental wellness or discussing mental wellness we all can can start to open up that conversation about prevention a lot easier. Right. So if we're, if we're all talking about the same thing, whatever label you choose, you want to try and choose the the language that's going to allow the most amount of people to participate in the conversation and feel like they can be part of the conversation, right? Yeah, exactly. What has this taught you or how has this changed the way you think about happiness and what happiness means? I think for me, for myself... Happiness, it's still an elusive concept. It's hard to define and it means a lot of, you know, different things for different people. And I think two years ago, I really wanted to understand it and define it. Not so much anymore. I think my personal focus in my life anyway is more around finding joy and contentment on a regular basis i think happiness is such like a a big idea that we can easily find ourselves chasing for something we don't know what it is Mm -hmm. and being dissatisfied by that and so for me if i if i can find joy on a daily basis if i can find gratitude if i can find you know find these little moments that make me smile on a regular basis and try to push my life in a direction where I have more of that than the opposite, <laughs> then I think I'm going towards happiness and making my life better. And I think those moments and those joys will be different for everyone. And that's okay. You know, like for me, some sports bring me a lot of joy my friends, my family, people I love bring me a lot of joy most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, nature, you know, like looking at flowers and birds and butterflies and, you know, spotting a little, I don't know, like a fish doing something funny in the water. Like, I don't know, it brings me joy for absolutely no reason. And so I'm going to try to find these things and it's going to contribute to my overall happiness. And that's what I'm looking for. And you, John? 
I mean, I, I guess it's kind of similar. It's, you know, for me, it's just don't, don't let people tell you what to do to be happy, which I guess is interesting because it's kind of what we're doing, but we always end up with like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be sports. You know, it can be gardening, it can be sewing, it can be music, art, you know, like you need to go into that soul search yourself and find what does make you happy, what brings you joy, what brings you contentment. And it is totally different for everyone else. But I think so often we get told that, you know, this shiny new car is going to bring you happiness or the brand new cell phone or this or that. And it's like, you know, nobody can tell you what brings happiness. That needs to come from inside. That needs to come from from you and in your soul search. And it might not be easy. It might not be clear, you know, and it may take doing a few things you didn't enjoy, you know, for, for me, that's dancing, you know, I, I was like, yeah, dancing makes me so happy and I'm going to try, but I, I don't come out smiling after dancing. Well, sometimes I come out laughing at myself. Everyone but... else is smiling though. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I, I guess that's what I learned. Just don't, you know, there is no one thing, you know, you can't, you can't buy it. You can't be told what is happiness? You you need to go find it, and you know for us it's definitely a door adventure, and I think that's why our our project focuses on it. You know I don't want to take things away from from the arts, from music, from gardening, but you know in a in a way it doesn't bring me the same kind of happiness as riding my bike down the side of a mountain does. Okay, this this is a bit more of a tough question because I'm going to bring you out of the present and force you to think ahead, but oh. uh, as as the this trip, I mean, you do have at this point a, a finish line in mind of, of 2018. What comes when, you know, the van finally gets parked? And uh, I know there's a book in, in the works, uh, but what, what are the plans post searching for Cerro in this, this sort of chapter that you're in right now? I think the last month we've talked about this every day while driving. Yeah. We're just starting to picture ourselves in our life after and we're trying to put the pieces together we don't know like we're still thinking this through um both in terms of where we want to end up if we want to end up somewhere if we want to end up somewhere (laughs) if we still you know want to remain somewhat nomadic because that's one thing we haven't mentioned but as we're traveling around we're meeting a lot of people that live this lifestyle and that have done it for years so it is a possibility so to answer and not answer your question Uh we don't know really Uh, but we are starting to think about that because we're seeing the end I guess or the at least the end of the project as you were saying spring 2018 is our end of travel date after that we're going to prepare the book so whether we're going to prepare that book from the road or from a place we choose uh, still is left to be determined. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many options. You know, there's there's kind of continue the project. We can do you know another another lap around Canada and North America. You know, because we just we keep meeting more people and we keep hearing places we haven't visited. Places we haven't visited and <laughs> yeah. and super interesting stories. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's so hard to know what what to do after where to go. I mean, it, we're we're kind of free at the moment in 
can go anywhere. And It's kind of weird, because normally in life, you probably don't feel that free to do anything. It's like, it feels like a new beginning, and all roads are possible. You know, we don't have financial, material, uh, physical attachments to anywhere, with the exception of the people we know, but... Because we've been far for almost two years now, it's not like it's something we need to go back to. We don't have work commitments that are not flexible. So it's almost too free to be able to make a decision. <laughs> we'll still be mountain biking. We'll yep. still be surfing. We'll yep. still be skiing. We're definitely going to be doing what we love. We just don't know where. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, that's about as good an answer as I can ask for. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll end it with this one. Uh, and in honor of being two Canadians in the States right now, uh, we just had Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving. What are the things that you're thankful for, that you find yourself thankful for? Okay. As a little bit of a joke, but not a joke, um, we saw this morning in a little cartoon about Thanksgiving, and it's it had, you know, it was two people walking with their bag of groceries and their turkey poking out so again in a thanksgiving theme uh and they were walking beside this like news outlet everywhere and they were saying i'm thankful for being canadian definitely feeling lately that we're thankful for being canadian um you said that with a big french accent well (laughs) you will know my friend that there's like over eight million French Canadian in your country. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for being able to do this. This is amazing. You know, we haven't really talked to you about the difficulties. There are certainly like hard days uh, living on the road, not knowing where we're going to sleep next sometimes is an issue. Um, Having a 25-year-old vehicle that's not always reliable is an issue. We've had a few mechanical issues, especially lately, that have been stressful. Financially, sometimes it's a struggle, too, because it's it's a different kind of work environment. Um, It's not, you know, it's, it's... not easy to make regular money so sometimes you come up short and you're you're stressed about money so it's not always easy but i'm thankful for being able to do it and to feel that i can connect with all these people and and feel like i'm part of a bigger community it's it's been amazing yeah i'm thankful for for all our readers uh and for all the people that reach out uh, like yourself and want to talk more or just want to thank us for what we do or tell us that they were inspired you know those those emails and messages and comments keep us motivated and i guess if it feels good to get them because you're like yes like someone's some, reading somebody read what we wrote <laughs> one person read it yeah uh and that's i mean that the, the people that are following us, I think, is, is what I'm most thankful for, because if no one was receiving what we were creating, there wouldn't be a, a point to doing it. And I think from the from the emails we get that people are reading and people are being inspired by it. And yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for, for all those people. Well, I'm thankful for you, too, and for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, it's an inspiring story. And I, I can't 
wait to keep on following as these months continue for you. Thanks yeah. for reaching out. Yeah, thank you. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to read more about John and Tracy, head over to searchingforsero.com. They're worth a follow on Twitter and Instagram, too, at searchingforsero. It's how I got to know about Amy Tunstall, one of the earlier guests on this show. If you enjoyed the show, there are a couple of things you can do that'll help me out tremendously. One, you can hit subscribe. New episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Player.fm. They're also coming to YouTube slowly but surely. Worth checking out there. You can also leave a rating and a review. That helps more people discover the show when they're looking through iTunes or whatever platform you listen through. Another thing you can do, share the love. Pass it on to someone else you think might enjoy the show. Let's make this family a bit bigger. There's always room for more. The music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Next week on the show, I talk to an inspiring individual and one of the people I've looked up to for a long time in Sean Stevenson. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. <laughs>